Well, you certainly know how to compliment a woman. Well, if you'll excuse me. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. is Friday Game Changers, taking your business to the next level. Coming up on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. I don't believe that mon- money solves all ills, but I've been a grown-up and been completely broke, and I've been a grown-up and having money, and having money is definitely better. And also... I think what I've learned to try and do and I have to keep reminding myself is always try and find easier ways to do hard stuff. Hi, this is Ray Zinn. Hi, I'm Jamie Martin from Ideal Shopping Direct. I'm Kate Bell, founder of Zip Us In. Hi, my name is Eirik Eide-Patterson. I'm a co-founder of Seaborg Technologies. Hi, I'm Katie Farrell, transformation coach, founder of The Catalyst for Life. Hey everybody, I'm David Frangioni, CEO and co-founder of All Access IDA, Inspire and Develop Artists, and you're listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changer. Check it out. Welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers with your host Kizzy Nkwacha. The show for innovators and motivators, people just like you. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine, editor of the successful Woman in Business book series and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Listen, learn and innovate. Now meet your host, your mentor and your fellow game changer, Kizzy Nkwacha. Hello and welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. My guest this week is business game changer Paul Owen, founder and managing director of Sales Talent. Now, Sales Talent is a UK specialist in sales transformation, which helps clients sell more successfully so they can experience faster growth, higher profits and greater company value. In just a few minutes, I'll be talking to Paul Owen to uncover his secrets of game-changing sales success. It's Friday, I'm Kizzy, and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Listen, learn, and innovate. I am Andrew Komenos, sales and performance strategist, and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, the world's number one podcast experience. Welcome to the show. This week, I have the privilege of spending some time with Paul Owen, founder of Sales Talent. Now, Paul founded Sales Talent in London back in 2011, I think it was. Now, in the decade since then, he's helped well over 10,000 people improve their sales skills through his consultancy, uh, training services, and podcasts. He's also delivered seminars to over 40, yep, count it, 40 universities, and he's become an Amazon bestseller and shortlisted for Business Book of the Year 2018 when he published his book, Secret Skill, 
hidden career. But before we dive into this week's conversation, I want to remind you that Business Game Changer is producing its groundbreaking end-of-year showcase, celebrating the most innovative and inspiring business game changers. Should you or a client be included in the spotlight? The Top 10 Business Game Changers 2022 recognizes those extraordinary business people, people just like you, who've successfully introduced a game-changing business, product, process or service to find out more about the awards email we are game changers at outlook.com that just one more time is we are game changers at outlook.com that's it enough of the public service announcements let's change some lives paul it's amazing to have you join me thank you kitty delighted to be here the pleasure is all mine. Um, I've just been going through your your, um, your resume, and I'm just thinking, wow, this guy's done everything. Let's let's go back to the years before 2011. Now you're working as a strategic advisor for a company called HSG UK, a company that specialised in uh, washroom water conservation. Um, and before that, you spent time with QuickScreen, working with their management and sales teams to help healthcare professionals protect their patients and staff during COVID-19. How did you go from QuickScreen and HSG to sales talent? Well, they're all at the same time, actually, Kizzy. There's the uh, the joy of, of, of wearing a few different hats. So I'll start with sales talent. Sales talent, we, we help people sell better, uh, quite simply. And we'll come back to a little bit about how I got into sales because there's a bit of a story uh, around that as well, a slightly unusual route into the world of sales. Um, so for HSG, who specialize in saving water in the glamorous world of men's washrooms, uh, and then QuickScreen, who have these brilliant flexible screens that divide hospital space much more quickly and flexibly. Um, it, they're kind of good examples of what I do in my job, Kizzy, in that doesn't matter what the product is or the services, I go in and help them sell better. And in both those cases, there are slightly different issues. So for QuickScreen, they literally went from um, doing about a million pounds a year when COVID hit to doing a million pounds a month. And so for them, it was about making sure they had the structures and processes in place to, to you know, keep the wheels on, really. Uh, whereas the HSG, really nice company, Queen's Award winning uh, innovation with their product. And it's just about helping them get their message out to more people, which is, I think, such a common thing in the SME market is people have got really great products, really great services. They just don't proactively sell it enough to people so those two jobs both fall within sales talent and it's uh, you know through a combination of training and a combination of looking at the way they go to market how they identify their client base and so on um it doesn't matter what the product or service is i'm just helping them sell better and you hinted earlier that there was um quite an unusual story to how you fell into sales enlighten us okay so i was 32 completely broke um Messed up my 20s career-wise entirely. Nobody else's fault, just mine. And um, I just didn't know where to go. So to give you some idea what that meant, I was earning, I think, £8,000 a year doing data admin at the post office. Thank you, post office, for at least giving me some income. And uh, I, I can't remember now. I definitely had nine credit card statements coming through the door each month. I was about £27,000, £28,000 of debt uh, on credit cards. And I just couldn't find a way out. I didn't know where to go. Uh, really, I was staying uh, at a mate's house, uh, Clive Bertram, an old friend of mine, my oldest friend, put me up on his uh, back bedroom floor. And I just I literally didn't know where to go. Um, the girl I'd met, I'd fallen in love with, she'd 
blown me out because I was such a sorry state of affairs and so on. I don't blame her at all. And I just didn't know where to go. And people had said to me for years, I should do sales. And I was, I think, a bit of a snob about it, Kizzy, to be honest. It was like, oh, it's below me. And we'll come back to that in a moment, I guess, about the cultural perception of sales because that's actually the number one problem in sales. And I ended up getting a sales job. And I can still remember the date. It was December the 4th, 2000. I started my first sales job and it completely and utterly changed my life. It sounds as though you you um, decided, well, what the hell, I might as well go for sales. And yet somehow this was the making of you. What persuaded you to actually take the job in the first place? Uh, desperation. <laughs> honestly, honestly, desperation. Um, I, I'd... Uh, that friend I mentioned, Clive, uh, he works, uh, still works in the pharmacology world. And he said, listen, I can't get you a job, but I can get you an interview in where we work. And I didn't really fancy that. And I set myself a deadline of the end of that year, the end of the year 2000, that if I didn't get myself a job, then I'd go and take up his offer to interview uh, at his company in the uh, pharmaceutical world. And I got that job. A recruiter called me. Actually, a friend of mine is a recruiter, Scott Barham, who's another massive help to me when times are tough and yeah I was desperate um it was selling French property to be fair because I got a bit lucky in that um the French connection my dad was a French teacher I'd always gone to France quite often so I probably got the job because of that well I got the job because they were desperate too I was cheap um and I did know a bit about France I could talk about France fairly knowledgeably and certainly passionately and I got the job and, and something happened within that kids, if I can stay with it for a second, in that I got lucky. I definitely got lucky. Now, I did work hard and all those things, and it's a given, but I got lucky insofar as I joined a market that went crazy. So I joined in the year 2000, the international property market went absolutely mad between 2000 and 2006. And that small family company I joined that was six people at that time, they've been going for 18 years. Uh, within the next three years, we were at 50 people. Uh, turnover gone up by about 500%, I think. And at the time, I think I thought I was amazing. And then I look back and actually, I just joined a market that went crazy. And that was my luck. You know, I, that, that, that job changed my life. I think it was a French emperor, Napoleon, who famously said, give me a man who's lucky. And it sounds like he might have been talking about you. He definitely was. And I, I was actually talking to somebody about this last week. And I think there's a lot more luck involved in success than people will ever admit. Uh, and I think just generally, yes, you need to be ready for the luck um, and then work hard and so on. But I think a few more people should admit that there was a little bit of luck involved in their first one or two steps. And how did this job change your life? Well, it took me from earning £8,000 a year to earning over £100,000 a year in about three years. Uh, that's life-changing. Um, I don't believe that mon money solves all ills, but I've been a grown-up and been completely broke, and I've been a grown-up and having money, and having money is definitely better. Um, so that allowed me to make choices about the way I live my life. But I also enjoyed it. It wasn't just about, oh, I'm making money and I'm selling my soul, anything like that. I loved it. I, I for those five years, Kizzy, I got to speak about this country I love. I was able to go to France oh, whenever I wanted, really. I probably went 12, 15 times a year uh, to different areas of France. And I was just talking to other people, clients who wanted to buy a house there. So they clearly love France as well. It's like, my God, I get paid for this. I talk about something I'm interested in. We genuinely had a good service. You know, we could help people uh, in their search. And we grew massively and, and, you know, I made really good money. So I was just around really nice people doing something I enjoyed 
and making a good living. Sounds brilliant. And I know that you said earlier that um, before you joined the company, you thought that sales was somehow beneath you because there was some sort of cultural perception of sales. What, what do you what do you think the perception is and how can that be changed? The cultural perception of sales to this day, listen, it's slightly better in some respects, to this day in the UK is that selling is a, a, a dirty um, pursuit where we're trying to con people into buying something they neither want nor need uh, with money that they don't have. And any of us who work in business of mind sales know that's not true, but that is the cultural perception of it and the uh, I don't know if it was obvious from the book title you mentioned earlier of, of secret skill hidden career I was writing about that sales is a secret skill nobody talks about it you go through the education system in the UK and you will not know that sales exists as a career never mind the fact that sales exists as probably now granted I'm biased Kizzy I get it but probably one of the most important skills you have in business and in life even if you never do a sales job so I passionately believe that everyone should learn how to sell. And then the hidden career thing, people don't think about it. So I fell into sales because I was desperate. In uh, writing my book, I interviewed those business leaders. One of the 25 business leaders who started their life in sales had intended to go into sales. Every single other one fell into sales. And almost anyone you speak to in sales, they fall into it. The attraction of sales is just not known. And, and the, the precursor to my book, by the way, uh, and you touched on it earlier, thank you for mentioning it, was I went out to universities. I did over 100 talks at over 40 universities. I won't mention this particular university's names, that would be unfair, but I can remember pitching to this university and saying, um, this is a free two-hour workshop. I'm just going to come along and introduce your students to this thing called sales because no matter what they do in life, no matter what job they pursue, they'll have more chance of success if they learn how to sell. And the reason they don't learn how to sell because they don't understand what sales is. And this uh, head of careers at this university, and be careful not to say their name, uh, she said, uh, Mr. Owen, people don't come to X university to go into sales. I thought, wow, you're kidding me because this particular university is in a particular bit of the UK, which is surrounded by massive tech companies, all with huge sales teams. I thought, you don't know. You've got people advising undergraduates about the jobs out there, and they've got no idea that the single biggest function in business is sales. There's somewhere between three and three and a half million people work in sales in the UK, which I have to guess, by the way, Kizzy, because we don't actually track that in the UK, and yet we don't talk about it. So I... I'm like the evangelist, right? Because uh, I was anti-sales and then I realized that it was my ignorance that made me anti-sales. And once I understood what sales is, which was in my first job, helping people find the house that they wanted in the country they loved of France. Once I understood what it was, it's like, this isn't pushy. This isn't forcing people to do anything. This is, this is helping people. But people don't understand that and people shy away from sales because they don't know what it is. And that's extraordinary, isn't it? Because if you think about it, we we sell every minute of our lives, mm -hmm. whether, whether you're a, a boss and you're selling your employees on the benefits of doing a good job and, um, and helping customers, whether you're a, a mother or a father, you have to sell your kids in on the idea of living a good and honest life and then to the actual selling of your, your products or services. If you don't sell, how can you make any progress? Everything has to be sold in some way or another. Exactly. We're all selling every day. You know, we sell our kids on going to bed early and doing their homework on all those things you just said. Um, and yet we don't call it sales. It's, you know, it's positioning 
Um, it's the, the art of communicating to bring about an outcome that you want to happen, but also helps the person that you're talking to as well. And we do it all day, every day, but we just don't call it sales. And it's just a critical skill. It should be taught everywhere. It should, we should be doing this stuff in schools, at universities, at colleges. There's now a handful of universities in the UK that, that offer sales degrees, um, but that's all. And can, can you picture that? You're, you know, any business owner listening to this, imagine a situation, imagine a world in which you can go to your local university and you can meet the people studying sales at that university. And in their third year, they take a year out and they come and work for your company. So they get to know your company on the inside. In their fourth year, their dissertation is written around how to grow sales at your company. And at the end of the fourth year, you get this collection of sales graduates that already know your company, have already done some work there, and you're picking the best ones that best suit you. That would be absolute perfection for any business owner I've ever met. And it's what happens in the States. Um, but we don't do it here. And I think we don't do it here because the starting point is the cultural perception of sales is negative. And I think in order to tackle that, we have to start at the very beginning. We have to change the way people are educated. We have to change the way children are educated. I think when I run for prime minister, I think mm. one, one of the first things I'm going to do is introduce one, um, financial literacy has been a requirement and also the importance of sales and citizenship. Absolutely. Think? Absolutely. 100%. And third on my list will be, um, which I think they do, is it Japan I was reading about recently? Uh, you learn domestic skills. You actually learn how to cook and, and sew and clean and stuff like that. Like life, it's life skills, right? Yeah. But finance, absolutely. I mean, the amount of deals, bad deal. I'm no expert in that world, but you know, I'm a person who pays bills and we all have to watch how we spend our money. But the level of uh, illiteracy, if you like, or lack of confidence rather that people have around money is staggering and costs people enormous amounts of money every year, I'm sure. Uh, and yes, clearly, I would agree with you, Prime Minister Kizzy, if I may call you that, uh, <laughs> that we've got to teach people how to sell. And it's just it's just an absolute crime. And, you know, all of us in business know it's critical. Um, and it's not that complicated. I mean, it's never simple, but it's I think sales is complex, Kizzy, because because people are complex. But the processes, the structures, the way you go about having sales conversations is not complicated. It's just understanding the rules, really. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the business. Let's talk about sales talent. Um, what were the most challenging obstacles you faced when getting sales talent off the ground? And how did you overcome them? I don't know if I have overcome them, because I think I'm still trying to overcome challenges all the time. Um, so I've been going, uh, you said earlier in 2011. So yeah, so 11 years uh, now. I think that I often compare sales to running a marathon kizzy i'll come this will link back to the business i promise and the the, the comparison between sales and, and running a marathon is that it looks easy like the theory of it is easy just go and run for 26 miles and sales everyone's an expert at sales from the outside because when they look in it looks easy i'll just go and talk to some people ask some questions and tell them how we can help it's like go on then go and do it because it's much much harder than that and i think i was in that way that kind of mindset when i set up my business i've been i've done the french property for five years that went well i then set up a um, i ran an association so i wasn't the owner of it because it was owned by its members but i, I ran an association from sort of zero to uh, its first sort of half million or so uh, before handing it on and then worked in a training company and i just thought oh it'd be easy oh well you know i know what i'm doing and actually, it was, I fell off a cliff. <laughs> you know, generating money from nothing uh, is hard. 
uh, and certainly harder than I thought it was going to be. And I think with that in mind, I think what I've learned to try and do and I have to keep reminding myself is always try and find easier ways to do hard stuff. And you know, I was just writing something this morning, Kizzy, to give an example to that. Very often you go into a company and they're talking about, we want to grow business. Uh, and that's pretty much all the companies that I go in and work with. In almost all cases, they go immediately to how do we go out and find new clients to sell more products to? And it's almost always the wrong place to start. The first place to start is how do I sell more of what we do to the clients that we already have? Or how do I sell more often to the clients that we have? Because you already have a group of people that know you, that like you, that trust you. If you're able to offer them more value, then that's a much quicker and therefore better process. And if you do that well, then you generate more revenue, then that can pay for the business development. And and I think it remains a challenge in my business myself, Kizzy, just trying to remind myself, keep doing the simple things consistently well always try and find easier solutions to hard problems i like that because that makes a huge difference um just because you're doing lots of stuff doesn't mean you're getting lots of stuff done and and a key to that is trying to work out how to how to work smart rather mm. than working hard because otherwise you just end up having a heart attack don't you easily and, it, and it's lonely right you, you i'm sure doing what you do and and with your the business that you run and then people that you talk to loneliness is hard uh, and i'm not talking here so much about loneliness as a um sort of illness type thing but just it's it's hard to make decisions on your own uh, quite often and it's really easy to run into you know paralyzing yourself with analysis and rather than actually doing and I might be jumping ahead a little bit here, Kizzy, but for, you know, business owners and, and, and businesses looking to grow their business, when they talk to me and they say, oh, things haven't been growing the way we want to, we're not making as many sales as we can. One of my early questions, once I've talked about selling more to existing clients, one of my questions is, how many people have said no to you in the last week? And it's surprising. Well, it used to be surprising. Now it isn't because it happens almost every time. Um, they normally say nobody. I was like, well, if nobody said no to you this week, then you're not asking enough people. And so it's about getting a practiced habit of, and, and of course, selling properly and all that kind of, not pushing people. But we need to get out there and, and talk to people and be proactive doing stuff. The worst thing we do as a business owner is sitting around analyzing until we go crazy. And it, and it just is, is a really unproductive way to work. Yeah, it is. I'm wondering what when you have you know, these conversations with business owners and they say to you, yes, we know sales is important, um, but I'm a, a solo entrepreneur. I, I work for myself and I'm not very good at selling. How do you respond to that? It's the most important job you've got. You, you don't have a business unless you sell. And so whether you naturally think of yourself as a salesperson or not. And I think, you know, I, I let me go back a stage with you. I think everyone can learn to sell, all right? Uh, and anyone who poo-poos that, I'll say, well, do you think that, that everybody can learn to play the piano? If you believe that everyone can learn to play the piano, then you can learn to sell. It, it's a skill, all right? It's a skill that you can learn. And granted, by the time we get into the working world, some people have already developed some of the skills unconsciously that, that make them, uh, you know, a closer fit for selling straight away. But everybody can learn to sell. I was once asked by a client, oh, can you turn everyone into a great salesperson? And I said, it's a good question. It's the wrong question. The right question when you look at training is, can I help everyone to get a bit better? 
at communicating successfully? And the answer to that has to be yes. So back to that sole entrepreneur, um, you have to sell. I mean, you can have an amazing, I think there are loads of these out there, Kizzy. You can have an amazing product and service, but if you don't take it to the market and let people know and move them to action, then you do not have a business. So the angle to me is not so much, oh, I, you know, I'm not very good at selling. It's this is the area of the business I need to focus on. And you've got two choices. You either learn to do it yourself or you hire somebody. And for most people in that position, and I've been there, it's it's going to have to be you. And so it's just finding a way and whether it's buying a book, listening to podcasts, going on a course, whatever it might be, there are plenty of resources out there. Not all of them cost lots of money. Is you have to learn how to sell. Very wise words, and um, I think it's something that a lot of us have to take on board, even if we don't put the title sales director or sales manager mm. next to our names. Um, just going back a couple of years, because you started in two thousand eleven, so you were just about just about finding your feet when um, when COVID hit. How did the pandemic affect you as a business? Uh, I lost every client and every gig in three days. Oh, so not that bad then. No, it's fine. <laughs> it was literally, I mean, God, I, I mean, there were worse stories, right? I did survive, but it was, I still remember, it was a Tuesday and um, I can't remember the date. I should look at what the date was, but it was around the time of it all breaking and, and, and so on. We've not quite gone into lockdown. It was a Tuesday and I was just negotiating with my landlord for a, a new contract on the office. And I was trying to work out whether to take more space, less space, longer contract, whatever it might be. I'm ignoring a few different options. And I said, I promise I will come back to you. And things, you know, it was disorientating at that time, right? None of us really, none of us have seen anything like this before. None of us could have known what was going to happen. But between that Tuesday and the Friday, every single client, every single training uh, contract, um, everything was stopped. And I was owed about £50,000 as well. Um, by clients, which was quite scary for small business. That's a lot of money. Um, so yeah, everything was gone in that time. So it was quite a um, frightening time. Well, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or stranger. I can never figure that out. But somehow you managed to bounce back, and you've um, you've built a business after COVID. Mm. I have. Yeah, I also got a bit lucky, by the way, Kizzy. Uh, so that the the quick screen. Uh, company you mentioned earlier i'd known the the founder of that from several years ago we spoke at uh, an event um, sort of he spoke before me and so we got chatting after that event and probably about two weeks after that um, horrible moment of losing every client he called up and said we really need your help can you come and help us and so i worked with those guys i still work with quick screen actually they're still one of my clients for um, an ongoing training program but i sort of dived in full on to, to help them fix their sales processes to, to keep up with demand. And that was a, I think a five or six month consultancy. Uh, and that got me through that period. Um, and by the time that was coming to an end, things were starting, I mean, nowhere near normal, right, Kizzy, but they were starting to just pick up again and people were starting to spend money again and look at training. Um, I changed some things I do. I offered online training, which I'd never done before. So that's been, um, a, an improvement I've made to the range of services. I, I still believe face-to-face training is best, but if you can't do that, then online training is certainly better uh, than not doing it at all. So I've got a bit of luck and I also changed some things that I do. And, and thankfully, 
managed to come through. I like that. Be lucky and adapt to changes. That's the only way we can survive. Um, let's hold that thought and come back to our chat in just a few minutes. Um, this week's incredibly talented game changer is Jess Childs, manager at Welsh PR firm Front Door Communications. Now, Jess has worked nationally with recognised public, private and third sector organisations, conveying messages to the masses, um, supporting sales figures and flagging up key individuals in the public eye. But when she's not making, moulding and mobilising public opinion, Jess is an incredible songwriter and vocalist. Here she is performing Give Me Light. Have a listen. Farrell, transformation coach, founder of the Catalyst for Life, and I love listening to Kiz's Business Game Changer podcast. You, you make it all right, and you, you bring me the light. You make me feel oh, you make. Feel wise, you make me feel oh, 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 oh
Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Jess Charles, manager at Welsh PR firm Front Door Communications. And Jess was performing Give Me Light. I'm in the studio talking to one of Britain's most dynamic emerging game changers, Paul Owen, founder and managing director of Sales Talent. Um, now, Paul, you're one of the uh, business people we showcase in the book insiders know how running your own business. I've got to say, I loved your chapter on getting sales right. You, <laughs> I love this. You describe the essence of sales as the search for truth. Mm. I, I love it. I don't know what it means, but it sounds extraordinary. How do you explain this search for truth? Great question. Okay, so we talked earlier about the misunderstanding about sales. It's about pushing things onto people and so on. And it's where I start pretty much all my sales engagements, whether consultancy or, or training with clients, which is asking the sales team, what's our job in sales? And when you actually boil it down, I won't do the whole uh, session with you, but when you actually boil it down, sales is helping people make good buying decisions. Okay, that's what it is. You don't force people to buy. You help people make good buying decisions. And if you're going to help people do anything in, in their life, and certainly around making a decision, you have to find out about their needs. And the greatest thing that stops us doing sales well is not finding out the truth about someone's needs. Once you know their needs, you can either say, okay, Kizzy, I understand your need. Um, that's not something we can help with. So thanks for your time. I wish you well. Or we can position how we can help. So at the very heart of it is... Once we find out the truth about a person's needs, then we can help either way. Then sales becomes much easier. It's never easy, but it becomes easier. So there's a mission at the heart of sales, and that's to search for truth. And the reason it might sound convoluted, I hope it doesn't, I hope it sounds like just common sense, but it matters. It doesn't just matter um, as far as understanding what your job is and, and trying to take away sales from this negative perception. But I think it changes how you think about your job and how you think about yourself. So the way it changes about your job is when you have in your mind, my job is to find out the truth about this particular person and their business. It drives good behaviors. By good behaviors, I mean it drives a sense of curiosity. You ask questions, you listen, you pick up on things they're saying. And that gives you a a much better style of selling. If you're thinking, I need to sell Kizzy something, then all you're actually doing is looking for triggers that allow you to sell. Oh, yes, I'd like to do so-and-so. Oh, I can help you do that, Kizzy. So it changes your mindset around what your job is. And it also changes your mindset about who you think you are. And this matters a lot. Because when you are selling, in many cases, Kizzy, the feedback you're getting from a client, or not from a client, from prospective clients is, we're not interested. When you hear that time and again and again and again, you start to believe it and you start to think, oh, I'm pestering people. Oh, I don't want to pester people. This often happens with entrepreneurs when they're trying to sell. They get discouraged because not enough people are saying yes to them and they think, oh, people don't want to talk to me. And that can start to make you feel like you're that kind of salesperson you don't want to be. And so back to searching for truth, your job's not to sell to anybody. Your job's not to push any product. Your job's just to find out the truth. Just be curious. Just ask people questions. And if indeed they do have those needs, then you can help them. And that mindset shift is really important because I'm sure you'll know from other people you've interviewed and for your own work as well, is if you don't have the right mindset around what you're doing and don't have a clear understanding about what you're doing, there's loads of other things after that that will go wrong. And so that search for truth, I think, elevates the positioning we have in our minds about the job we're doing in sales. 
That's such a powerful uh, concept. And I know that when I've spoken to people here um, in, in, the, in the publishing business and what have you, I always say to them that the quality of your life depends on the quality of the questions you ask. Mm. So be curious and ask questions, but don't just ask questions because you want to sell or offer something, but take on board what people are telling you. And sometimes that can lead to revelations that you hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Listen, everyone's interesting. Everybody. I know we're all fallen to traps sometimes of saying someone's this or someone's that, but everyone's interesting. If you can just get them to open up and talk about something. I remember setting this challenge myself a few years ago, uh, Kizzy. I was back up in, in, in my hometown in, in Derby in the Midlands, and I was chatting to a, a friend of the family who was really into beekeeping, which is not an interest I've ever had, uh, and was not the most dynamic person uh, to chat to. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm being a hypocrite here. I should, you know, I talk to people all the time. Be curious. Everyone's interesting if you can get them talking. And so I did. I set myself that challenge. And within about six or seven minutes, he really opened up. And we had about a half hour talk about beekeeping. And I genuinely found it interesting, having known this person for years and never asked them before. And you touched there, that you used a brilliant word there of curiosity. And if I could, people often ask me about the attributes of salespeople. Um, you know, what do you look for in a salesperson? And actually, if I could inject one um, attribute into salespeople, uh, in fact, I go further. If I could inject one attribute into all people, it would be a sense of curiosity. Be interested, genuinely interested in other people. So really what you're telling me is that I've missed my vocation and that I should now be working in, oh, come on, really? That you should be working in sales? Yeah. You are in sales. <laughs> ah, well, I like it because everybody is in sales, whether they know it or like it or not. Yeah. Media sales. You need to keep teaching. So, I have a, so, so my, my background uh, is linked to education insofar as both my parents are teachers and, and teachers hate this, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Like teachers are salespeople. Teachers face exactly the same thing as salespeople, which is you walk into a classroom and every child or adult, but every attendee in that classroom is thinking, who the hell are you and why should I listen to you? And if you don't win that in the first 30, 60, 90 seconds, then your content does not matter. And I think it's the same with your world in media. This, well, hopefully people are still listening, Kizzy. If they're not, it's my fault, not yours. But at the beginning of each broadcast, of each interaction with your listening public, you're telling them this is why you should listen today. That's sales. Yeah, it is. That's right. Absolutely. I like that. Um, okay. Well, um, we're now at the section of the show we call the past, present, and future. Now, the idea is really simple. I ask you three easy, harmless questions that will hopefully give us a unique insight into the mind of game changer Paul Owen. Will you submit to the program? I'm nervous, but I'll say yes. <laughs> I take that as a resounding, hell yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> you would, yeah. No, this is going to be great. This is really, really good fun. And um, I just want you to relax. Um, I don't know, have a sandwich. Um, just, you know, just, just, just put your feet up and let's, let's go hand in hand into the future. Now, let's actually let's start with the past. Imagine you can hear a clock ticking in the background. That's the sound of time passing by second after second. We're going into the past. Imagine yourself traveling back in time to meet the young Paul Owen just starting out on his game-changing business journey. Now, Paul's about, I don't know, 16 to 18 years old. He's really curious and he's asking you for advice. He wants to know, 
in order to become a successful business person, Paul wants you to tell him one thing he must always do in business and conversely, one thing he must never do. What do you tell him? Wow. Um, you know what's going to happen in about half an hour's time? I'll have a much better answer for you, but then we'll have finished. But I would say, um, I mean, I did this only recently, by the way, in a different way where I'd give a, some talks at my kids' schools for kids of that age. And genuinely, I think if I was talking to my 16 to 18-year-old self, it would be to go out and uh, speak to all as many people as possible amongst my parents' friends to find out what their job entails. Because when I look back and I see it now with, with the generation of, of my own children, um, back to curiosity again here, Kizzy, they don't know what jobs are out there. And most careers advice services are not worth um, writing home about as far as getting into business, uh, very often in schools, colleges, universities. Uh, but actually, you have a massive resource of information at your fingertips, which is your aunts, your uncles, your friends and family uh, of your parents, and just go and find out what people do. And it's remarkable. Most people, if you ask them to talk about themselves and what they do, will be absolutely delighted to tell you. But people don't ask. And when I look back at myself as a 16, 18-year-old, I was so ignorant, Kizzy. I... Parents are both teachers, both very, very good teachers, um, but not sort of worldly wise and on, on business and what's out there. And I think I just the level of ignorance I had about um, what was out there partly led to me sort of drifting, I guess, through my 20s. And so go and find out is what I'd say. What, so the one, what, what would I not do? Hmm. Um. I might be revealing too much here. I, I just think that, um, I think as Brits have this thing, I definitely fell into it, uh, Kizzy. Brits, I think generally, and I think certainly non, non-Southeast Brits, I think there's a different mentality in the Southeast of England from, uh, or Southeast of England from the rest of Britain. Um, I think what can happen is we become too humble. And I think the, one of the things that, could have held me back, and this is not a blame game, but I think more importantly holds a lot of people back, is they don't realise they can, within reason, be more or less whatever they want to be. So they look around at people and we we limit ourselves in thinking we can't do things. And I think there is a, a humility of us Brits which often goes a bit too far. And if I look back, I've actually got my mum staying with me at the moment. If I look back at the advice she was giving me as a teacher, they are typically risk-averse people. Uh, and her angle was get your qualifications, get yourself a job, get some money coming in. There was not like you could be prime minister. And I, I, I think that I would have, um, benefited as many would from not holding myself back, not having that, that humility, which drives you to perhaps be limited in what you think you can achieve. Isn't it true that that psychology of, playing it safe is actually built into our DNA. I mean, mm. when we were kids, you'd often hear people say, um, it's better safe than sorry. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I know people who even now would still say, I've never taken any risks and I'm really happy that I've never gambled in any way. Mm. That, that still happens, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean happiness 
matters clearly. And you remind me there of a conversation I had with a friend a few years ago. So a friend of my wife's, Sarah, and she said, what do you want for your children in the future? And I said, um, I want them to be happy and to have the confidence to recognize that they can do whatever they want to do. And she said, isn't happy enough. Uh, and it was a good question. I said, I just think there's, it's a very generic thing, happy. And I think lots of people uh, will tell themselves that they're happy, but actually the way they act day in, day out, they're not happy. You know, we, we kid ourselves on these things. But you think you're right. There's lots, of, there's lots of phraseology. There's lots of cultural affirmations. We have this thing in the UK of, you know, we build people up and we knock them down, whereas the Americans build them up and keep building them up. We're, we're, we're slightly um, antagonistic towards success. And I think that's part of the same psychological starting point i think we should do another show on the psychology of happiness because as you're talking i'm thinking to myself happiness i don't think is a permanent state of mind i think you you're happy for a, a few a, a brief moment and then you go back down and then you have to build up maybe being content is better than being happy yeah i agree i, I think you touched there on attitude Jen. some some of the stuff i do I talked earlier about you know if your mindset's not in the right place then there are lots of knock-on effects um, to that down the line. And I'd often talk to you about attitude and attitude in sales. And I think one misunderstanding around attitude that mirrors what you're saying there about happiness is that people assume that attitude is, is constant and it's not, you know, I think anyone that would know me will probably say I'm a pretty upbeat, positive, enthusiastic person. It doesn't mean I leap out of bed every morning that way. It doesn't mean every moment of every day I'm that way. It's not constant and therefore if you recognize it's not constant then you try and look for where am I happiest where am I best what are the triggers that make me feel happy and can I make more of those happen but you're right there's nobody walking around I mean you'd be slightly bonkers if you're walking around constantly happy all the time it wouldn't wouldn't make any sense um but I, I've tried to get better and I've, I've done it only recently in my life uh, Kizzy and as in the last couple of years of thinking about in my work and in my personal life what are the things that make me happy and then realizing that I'm not actually doing them very often so the thing I've changed now is I go and do them more I, there's things I've been meaning to do for years that I've never done and the last two years I've done them and I'm happier as a result of that why because I'm doing things that make me happy if I said to you it sounds as though you found your icky guy would you know what I meant no Ah, right. Okay. Ikigai, a Japanese concept from the same place um, that, that karate came from, Okinawa. Mm. Um, it's all about finding your purpose, your reason for being. And they say that if you want to find out your true purpose, you've got to figure out, ask yourself, what is it that I'm good at? What is it that I'm, I really enjoy doing? What is it that the world needs? And also, what is it that I do that I can get um, paid for? And mm. if you if you can draw for four circles, at the intersection of all those four, there's one thing that you're good at. There's one thing that you do better than most people. One thing that the what you do that the world needs, and you can get paid for. And that's what you should be doing. You didn't even know anything about that, and yet mm. you sound as though you found your icky guy. You found your purpose. I think I have. I think you're also, you're searching for it. You're searching for the next thing as, you know, I, I, I kind of dislike the phrase, but I do get the point when people say, oh, you know, life's not a destination, it's a journey. And I think almost like when you get there, there's nothing left to do. It just gets, I'm not against it, it just gets, the, 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 the use of the word journey is just one of those things that almost gets used to describe everything in the world. Um, but I think that you are 
constantly striving. It's almost a disease of capitalism as well, right? Because he have, you know, it's never enough. So I go back to only 8,000 pounds a year. And I literally, if I go to the pub to meet a friend, I can have one drink and that's it. And he says, let's go for dinner. I can't afford dinner. Um, but very quickly, you start earning more money, then your life changes and you're not suddenly going, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I've got thousands of pounds left in my account at the end of each month. You know, every next stage you get to, whether it's money, whether it's standard of living, whether it's activities that you do, it's about what's next. And I think, I think I'm still searching for that balance. I think there's still times when I try and remind myself that, listen, you're in a great space, you're happy, you do something that you enjoy, which is very different, Kizzy, from doing something that you love every second of every day. I think that's a misinterpretation sometimes of doing what you love. It doesn't mean that every moment is joy and heaven and, and so on. It's not. There's some stuff you have to do that you don't like doing. Um, but I think I still find myself searching for what next, what more, what can be better. And I think that's the human condition to some extent. But I would like, if you could send me details on that thing that I didn't know existed and I'm actually doing, that would be great. I'd quite like to look at that. Done, done. What does, what does success mean to you? God, that really is a deep question. Um, I think for me, in thinking about myself and do I feel successful, I don't know if I do feel successful, but I, um, I go back to where I was and where I am. And I think the success, the one element in which I would think now that I have had relative success is that I have choices about my life. And I had far fewer choices about my life when I, you know, was, was very low and didn't have income and didn't have a purpose and didn't have a job that I enjoyed. And so it would be, you know, because success is not relative, right? Lots of people talk about it being relative. It's not. Success is, is unique to you. And if you regard the fact that you're successful, then you are successful, however you qualify, which is probably why you asked me the question, I guess. Um, so I think it's about having choices, but I, I don't regard myself as a success. If people say, do you, do you regard that you run a successful business? I would say no. Um, and, but I think that's partly because I want it to be so much better. And that's part of what drives me forward. Uh, but then other times I step back and I think, oh, you know what? <laughs> it's pretty good overall. I do. I've got really nice clients. I do work that I almost uh, enjoy every bit of it. And I have an income that allows me to choose how I live my life and where I live and where I go on holiday and so on. But I don't know if I even know the answer to um, what is success for me. I think I've achieved some of the success that I wanted around life choices, uh, where I live, how I live but I don't feel that um, I would describe myself as a success in, in, in because success almost suggests a, a destination. Like I am now I've reached that level of success. I don't feel I've got that. I feel like there's loads more to go. You sound like that mountaineer who's just climbed a mountain and he's at the top and then he, he looks around and he can see another peak and he thinks now that's a mountain I'd like to climb. Yeah. And, and I think there is a balance to that. I think you can make yourself, and I think I have made myself sometimes disenchanted and that's led to a dissatisfaction, which has led to an unhappiness um, of trying to be stuff that you're not. And that's why I'm particularly interested in that, the Japanese reference that you made that I think some elements of that I have got right. And some elements I still wrestle with and, in, and, and wrestling is good if it spurs you to good activity, but wrestling is not good if it's just making you get down um, about things. So, 
I think there's a balance and I consistently come back to it with my kids about how they live their lives and yes, do this well, commit to that, but there's a balance and um, I, I, I'm sure I get it wrong sometimes. As we all do, I'm sure we do. Um, okay, that's the past taken care of. Let's go into the present. Now, when things don't go as well as you'd like them to, when you think to yourself, why the hell didn't I take Kizzy up and on that job offer of doing voiceovers for eight? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. How do you stay focused? What, what, what keeps you grounded? This is going to be the least inspirational answer you've ever had on this, Kizzy. Go um, for it. I've got bills to pay. Hmm. Okay, all right. I've got bills to pay. And, you know, I just think, <laughs> they don't go anywhere and yes when I get into the zone and when I look as I've got now a couple of new clients come in and I'm designing a program for them to help them improve I I love doing that and I get enormous satisfaction from seeing people change through a process and and I've been the trigger for that change so um, I do get enormous satisfaction from that but I'm framing the question in my mind as, you know, those times when you like, you need a bit of kick up the backside, whatever it might be. Uh, what is it that makes me do stuff then? Um, it's, no, I'll tell you what, it's two things. It's one, it's number one front of mind is I've got bills to pay. Secondly is, and this almost links back to your former question on success. I still feel there's so much I haven't done. I still feel for the, and I'm, I'm going to go the opposite of humility here and sound a bit big headed, but I think for the, the quality of work that I've done with clients over the last 10 years, um, I should have helped 100,000 people, not 10,000. And so those two things, pay the bills, and I genuinely think I have something that can help a lot more people than it has done, and it's about time I made that happen. I like it. Constantly moving forward, you can never, ever stop. You can never look back. I like that. That's really, really empowering. Um, Let's go into the future. Let's talk, let's talk about the future. Um, it's 20 years from now. Where will you be and what will you be doing? I've talked about this quite a bit, the first bit of that, with uh, with friends recently, because there's quite a few friends live around, around me, obviously, in, uh, in southwest London. And I'm quite happy in southwest London. And quite a few of them are saying, no, we don't want to be here when we're older. And I normally say to them, what are you looking for um, in that? And it normally is about like an amazing location, maybe like where you are, Kizzy, or it's being by a beach or in the sunshine or whatever it might be. And something I learned years and years ago about myself, and it doesn't mean it's true for other people, is I'm made happy by the people I'm with. Uh, I traveled years and years ago. I was, in, I was, what was I, 20 years old. And I remember being at the Great Barrier Reef, and I was envious of the people who were there as a couple or there with siblings or there with, you know, close family and friends because it, it, it looked like they had a much better experience than me because there's something about experiencing things on your own which lacks the same power um, as the people you're with. And, that, you know, I was quite young realizing that. And I've, and I've pretty much kept the same opinion on that. I think I'm made happy by the people by whom I'm surrounded. Um, and that's one of the changes I've made recently in my life of just trying to make sure I spend more time with those people because life gets in the way and your work and your kids and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm really, really happy to stay where we are now. So I think I'll be here. London's a great city uh, at all times. And I think it's a great city when you're a bit older and you might want to be driving around here, there and everywhere. And what I've been doing, I really don't know. I, I don't, 
I'm not sold on retirement, Kizzy. I don't really get retirement. Um, I don't think I necessarily want to be working 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. five, six days a week um, in 20 years' time. But I've just seen lots of people retire, you know, including my parents. And it's like, I think too often they deteriorate quite quickly mentally because they're not engaging with things. And I... I said, I don't love every bit about my job, but I enjoy most of it. And so I like what I do. I'm interested. I'm fascinated by humans and how we interact with each other and all that psychology stuff we talked about earlier. It just genuinely has become a, a, an interest of mine, a passion of mine. And, and, and I don't know why I'd want to give that up. So I think it will be in a process I'm going through now with my company is how can I keep doing this, but it's not always me delivering the content. And so I'm looking at angles now to bring more people on board that I can, you know, share with them the way I do things, the way I go into companies, the programs I run to help them sell better. And for me to still be involved in that business, but not with the person standing in front of, you know, 25 salespeople running the training myself. But I would love to be in a position where my company was still going and other people were doing the day-to-day running of it. And I was facilitating that and supporting them. Really good ambition. That's a goal that I think we all could um, learn a lot from, um, figure out a way how to, how to make passive income, how to grow the business without actually having to be working on the business 24 hours, mm. seven days a week. Um, we've gone way past the, uh, the scheduled time we have for our conversation. And I, I, I had a feeling we would do. Um, before we wrap up, is there anybody listening to our conversation, Paul, that you'd like to say hello to? Yeah, there's a few, actually. I've, I've mentioned this idea um, a couple of times in our chat, Kizzy, and if I don't get the chance later, thank you so much for uh, giving me your time and uh, having this conversation today. Um, I talked a little about support, and I'm a huge believer in, in business. It's really important to have a support network, and, and that's something I've changed recently in my business because it was lonely without, but also support around you. So a shout-out to Claire, my wife, to my three kids, Sam, Alfie, and Violet, um they do all drive me mad and i'm sure i do um but love them dearly and uh, genuinely help me uh, to do my job and and to be happy but i also want to shout out to a couple of friends or, or well, one friend in particular clive i mentioned earlier um i was in the doldrums uh 20 odd years ago uh kizzy and i like to think i would have found a way through it but he made that a lot easier by giving me free accommodation by being supportive and by occasionally giving me a kick at the backside and then the last one briefly is something that uh, actually i won't do individually because it will go on too long but uh, in the bit of london in which i live in balham a few years ago um we set up something called the friday night drinks club um, which is a, a bunch of, I don't know, 45 local dads who all know each other through school. And we're on this WhatsApp group. And effectively, the angle is between 5.30 and 7.30 on a Friday at a certain local pub. Just turn up and there'll be some friends around. And I think particularly in light of so much that we talk about or we read about in in, in the world today of men being really bad at building friendships and opening up and sharing and supporting, um, Listen, it's a social group, not a counselling group, but I think that support network of those friends being around whenever I drop in, it might be every Friday, it might be every other Friday, of them being around uh, has definitely improved my life in the last few years. Fantastic. Oh, so Claire, Sam, Alfie, Violet, Clive Bertram, thank you so much for the couch. Uh, And all the honourable members of the Friday Night Drinks Club, 
you're all Kizzy's kind of people. Um, Paul, it's been an amazing experience getting a chance to speak to you. And we have got to do this again very, very soon. Love to. You, you um, will arrange somewhere to meet in Limousin next time, Kizzy. Done. Absolutely. And we can eat French cheese, drink wine, and just talk about whatever comes to mind. Brilliant. Loved it. Thank you so much, Kizzy. Well, Paul's incredibly inspiring story is a great reminder that the best salespeople wonder what it'll be like to be in the other person's shoes. They know they can't play that game unless they continually strive to train themselves in how we, as human beings, communicate. And after my chat with Paul, I've come to realise that sales is contingent on the attitude of the salesperson not the attitude of the prospect. This is a lesson that game changers like Paul Owen are teaching us every day. Listen, learn and innovate. Playing us out is Roger Rosa, CEO of Cleveland-based marketing and public relations firm, the Eisen Agency, and Roger's performing Unknown Road. See you next week. That's how it is, brother.
hell is paid with good deeds. It's too 